Hello. I mean, y'all are almost there. Y'all are almost there. I hope all of you make it. Some of you might not. But it's okay. Y'all are going to do good. Okay. This seems taller than normal. Um, we are going to be in John 11. So, you know, we didn't finish John this semester. Uh, we're not going to do John next week. There's something I want to talk with y'all about before y'all leave for the summer. Uh, so we're going to, this will be the last sermon from John. We're going to be in John 11. This will be the last sermon from John tonight. And then we're going to pick up John again when you guys get back here in the fall. Uh, we're going to take a break and we're going to read one of John's other letters over the summer. So if you guys are here over the summer, we're going to read First John. So we're just going to give you as much John as we can. Uh, so if you guys are here for the summer, we will do Crosspoint in the summer. It'll be smaller. So when I yell at you, I'll actually get to spit on you. Uh, it, we'll do it in the chapel. Y'all will love it. Y'all will love that. Okay, so John 11. If you have a pew Bible, that's uh, page 897. So we have been, obviously, uh, John 9 and 10 in the last couple weeks. John 9 and 10 raises this question. In the very beginning of John 9, um, this question is raised of where does suffering come from? Where does human suffering come from? So if you guys remember that, uh, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he's walking by, and they see a blind beggar. And the di- disciples ask, is this guy blind because he sinned or because his parents sinned? And then this is, opens this whole can of worms about where does human suffering come from? Uh, and so we landed on specific sins don't always result in specific suffering, but that human suffering does exist because Man has turned from God, and that's the natural result of that. So if you're here, I normally take you back to Genesis 1, and we talk about that a lot, uh, Genesis 1 and 3, but God created man for this beautiful relationship with him, uh, and it was man's choice to turn from that, and then we have been suffering the fallout of that turn away from God, uh, and one of the results of that is human suffering. So while specific sin doesn't result in specific suffering, there is human suffering that we engage in that is the result of sin in general, the power of sin, and it's working in our lives. Okay? So we have talked a little bit about that. So John 9 brings up that question, and then John 10 brings in this beautiful exposition of the Good Shepherd and how Jesus is the Good Shepherd um, and his response to how the Pharisees treated this blind beggar after he was healed. Uh, You guys remember that. So... Uh, this week we're going to get into John 11, this new question that is very much on the heels of the last question is raised. Uh, not where does human suffering come from, but what is God's response to human suffering? Uh, equally as important question, and so that's where I want to take us tonight. So we're going to be in John 11. Uh, we're going to start at the beginning of John 11 in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. Bethany is the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So there's a story about this woman who who anoints Jesus' feet with oil because she's so overcome uh, with all that Jesus has done for her. And they're just saying that was the same lady. And it's her brother Lazarus who's ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. 
there's an indication there that you automatically think, because we've seen Jesus do healings, that what he's about to do is he's just going to roll into Bethany and he's going to heal Lazarus and be glorified. So that's sort of what they're setting you up for. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I'm going to read that again. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's, that's weird. If you didn't catch it, that's weird. He's like, man, I love you guys. And I know your brother's ill, so I'm going to chill right here for a while. Um, that's weird. He's purposefully waiting. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. I love every time he talks to the disciples. Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus Typical answer from Jesus. It's difficult to understand sometimes. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them. This is fun. After saying these things, he said to them, my friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. <laughs> they call him Lord like, he, like they're acknowledging that he's the Lord. But they're like, hey, Jesus, if you didn't know how sleep works, it works like he'll get rest and then he'll recover. He'll just wake up. They, every time he talks to disciples, awesome, awesome conversations. And now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Jesus told them plainly. Lazarus has died. <laughs> it seems like he's always got to do this. Like, okay, I'm just going to tell you what's going on. Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Before we get into what Thomas says, we need to stop there for a second. Jesus has purposefully allowed Lazarus to die. One, we're seeing for his own glory. We saw that uh, a little early on when he's talking. But he's, so he's saying... This illness doesn't lead to death. I'm going to glorify myself in it. And then he says, yeah, Laz- I just want to spell this out for you guys. Lazarus has died. Lazarus is dead. And I'm happy. I'm glad for your sake that we weren't there. That's odd, right? But we're seeing what we've seen in every other chapter in John. That he's trying to engender belief in them. So we're seeing that John, at the, at the end of his gospel, he's telling like, I wrote all this so that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and then by believing it, you would have life. And so we're seeing in John 11, it's just like John 10, 9, and then the, the numbers that become before that. He's trying to engender belief in them. Because belief is even, notice, belief is so important in the lives of his disciples and the people coming after him and everyone else believing in him and believing rightly about him is so important that he's willing to allow Lazarus to die and put his family through this terrible amount of pain of losing their brother. And he's saying, I'm glad we weren't there. I purposefully waited. Like I waited for two days so that this would happen and I'm glad we weren't there so that you might believe. Look how important 
belief is in this. There's, there's something more important than understanding God, and there's something more important than feeling right about God. And that's what John is trying to cultivate, and that's what Jesus ultimately is trying to cultivate, is belief and trust and faith. So I've shown you guys along the way that that's the same word. In Greek, it's the same word, this belief, trust, faith. He's trying to cultivate that in them. And the reason he's trying to do that, one of the big reasons that we're going to pull out of John 11, is how we face tragedy, and not even just tragedy, how we face these big things in our life, and then how we face these little misunderstandings about our future and these times where we just don't know what's going on with God, how we face those things really depends on our belief. It really depends on what we believe and the degree to which we believe it. It, it, What we anchor ourselves in is really going to change how we face these tragedies, as we're going to see in John 11, and then how we face even the smaller things. And so he's saying this belief is so important that I'm allowing this to unfold so that I can engender this deeper belief and trust in me and my goodness and my ability. I'm doing this all on purpose. You know, it seems like you don't get it. I'm doing it all on purpose so that you might trust and believe and rest in and stand on and anchor in in me and my goodness and my ability. Um, something, it, it's, it's a pretty difficult story, and I think it really just sheds light on this. Um, I talked to my cousin this morning, and I asked her if I could sort of share this story with you guys, because John 11 uh, is something I shared with her these last two weeks. So my cousin, this is the weirdest thing, a very difficult thing, uh, but it seemed like it clicked right in, uh, this story and what she's going through. Um, my cousin was eight months pregnant, and two weeks ago, me and Lauren were scheduled to go to her baby shower, uh, and we were going to leave here on Friday, go to her baby shower. She's eight months along. She's going to have the she was going to have the baby the next month, uh, and uh, the night before we leave, my mom calls and says that she's in the hospital and that the, there's something wrong with the baby. Uh, then later on that night, my mom calls and says she she's lost the baby. So she's eight months along. Uh, and so we have to go. We're still going. We're going to go visit her. But now instead of going for her baby shower, we're going for her baby's funeral. And it just so happened that they happened like the, the shower was supposed to start at three o'clock. Uh, the shower was supposed to start at two o'clock and then it ended up that the funeral started at three o'clock. So it's just like this whole thing just wove together in this incredibly difficult, painful way. Uh, and so like I didn't think I'd have to do a funeral for like 20 years or something. And so, like, I'm having to do my first funeral for my cousin who's lost this child. And it's just like, it's this heavy, heavy circumstances, even in me. And, and, and especially in my cousin and her husband and their family, they're looking at this circumstance. And they're like, like, where are you, God? Where are you in the middle of this? It seems like you could have worked this out differently. It seems like you could have not allowed conception to happen. Or you could have at least sort of done something with the conception a little earlier. Like, why bring it this long? And then why just so, it almost seemed like you're rubbing it in her face that we had to have this funeral the day that we're supposed to have the the baby shower. It's just like, oh my 
gosh. Like, and, and even in me, I'm like, golly. And I think what happens is tragedy hits. And if we're not anchored rightly in, in our beliefs, if we're not anchored rightly in our view of God, then what happens is that knocks us down and it keeps us down perhaps longer than it should and perhaps in even further more destructive ways that can't be brought out of so easy. So, so how we view God and what we believe about Him, not, not just the things that we know and we think and we feel sometimes when we worship, but the things that we believe about God, that's what governs these times. And like, it just doesn't govern these huge tragedies. It governs even the little things. Like, like some of you guys are trying to get into your master's program or some of you guys are trying to get internships over the summer. Some, there, there's just so much going on right now with your planning, your future, and it seems like a, a lot of you don't have this next step lined out, and it's causing you to sort of wig out a little bit. Like, it's causing you to, you're looking at God, and you're like, okay, I feel like I'm trusting you. I feel like I'm here, but like, how about you come through? How about you show me what's going on? Why don't you, why don't you come through for me here? I feel like I'm, I've been following you, and I've been smoking cigarettes, and so you feel like I've been doing all these right things. Where are you, God? And so how we believe it makes sense that Jesus would go through this with his disciples. It makes sense that he would allow this to sort of pass and this would play out this way so that he might do something that is so important that's engender right belief in his disciples and the people who are following him. And it, it just makes sense that he's going to go about doing it this way. So, so th- okay, so all that being said, what then are we to believe about him? What should we anchor in as tragedy hits or as as these decisions that you want to be made but don't really see the open door, and it's just, as life is progressing, what is it that we anchor in and we daily try to find rest in? What is it about God that, that we can come to the Scriptures and be like, okay, 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 I just believe this, and I'm going to rest in this today, and you can open the door today if you want, but if not, okay, we'll wait for tomorrow to you open the door, or that we can anchor in when these tragedies hit, tragedies that we can't explain and tragedies that really seem terrible. Like, what do we anchor in? And I think John's going to open us two really important things that our Father is both good and able. And I want to show you God's response to human suffering and show you that He's both good and able and we can trust Him because He is good and because He's able. So, let's keep going and I want to, sh- I want to show you uh, what I'm talking about here. So, verse 15, And for your sake... I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, Thomas, his, his name is the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I don't know if he's being sarcastic or if he's really like, now let's go, I got your back, Jesus, I don't know. Uh, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Wow, that's, that's, that's a heavy statement. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. 
And Jesus is just straight up with him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Uh, just a point of clarification. Uh, the Jews at this time, and even Orthodox Christianity now, we understand uh, that there is the day that Jesus returns and the dead are resurrected, right? And so that's what she's referring to. She's saying, oh, I, I know he's going to rise again. She's like saying, I, 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 I've got faith in that. You know what I mean? That doesn't help us now. You could have been here two days ago to keep him from dying. Um, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So when we talked about the importance of belief and how we face tragedy, we're seeing even Jesus saying belief is so important in, in your life. Like it's not just how you're going to face tragedy in these times. It's so important that it changes your life. It changes whether you live eternally with God or eternally far from God. Like, belief has that degree of power in your future that it changes your life now and it changes the afterlife. Like, Jesus is really, really serious about believing and believing rightly about him. Uh, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Okay. That sister is, she's faithful, man. Like, you're not seeing a lot of bitterness in her about what's happened, but the, the other sister, you're seeing her, she's wrestling with this. I feel like more like we would wrestle with this sort of happening. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but she was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep, to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think she is, she, she is asking that question that I asked in my cousin's house, like, like, just why? Why? Couldn't it have been different? Couldn't you have played this out differently? Couldn't you have come two days ago? Couldn't you, like, if you had done something different, God, things would be different now. If you had just come, things would be different. And this is a real, raw emotion. This is normal. Okay, but look, just look at Jesus. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then this crazy important verse, Jesus wept. This, this shows us the first, this is a great lead into the first response, God's first response to human suffering. I think what I used to read this, and I wanted to sort of theologize it. I'd be like, why is he weeping? Like, why is, why is Jesus weeping if he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead? And then I came to this really weird answer. Well, heaven must be so good that he knows he's about to bring him from heaven back to this 
lousy earth. And I was like, that makes sense. But that just removes the humanity of, of Jesus. He, he's weeping because he is in the middle of a family who has lost their brother. And he's grieving with him. He's got two sisters who are grieving. And he's weeping because death is a terrible, terrible thing. And it's terribly difficult. It's hard to understand. And it's hard to just wrap your hands around and act like everything's okay. He's weeping because he feels, just like they do, the power and the, the, just the destruction that death has over this specific family. He's weeping because he feels their pain. Like, he feels it, and he probably feels it even more than they do. So it's not just that he's, he, it's not just this, he's not this dry, cold God who's aloof from everything that's going on on the earth, and aloof from our problems, and aloof from our sorrows, and aloof from our pains. He's not just gone and sort of sitting with his beard and his old clock in the heavens on his throne and just like looking at everybody. God's first response to human suffering is to enter into human suffering. Like God's first response is that his son is clothed in humanity and he's not born a king and he's not born like in, in, with riches and power and money. He's born to this young girl in very difficult circumstances in very difficult times in a very poor family. And he grows up in one of the roughest parts of Israel. So God's first response to human suffering is that he enters into it. And he doesn't just enter into it like mentally. God's first response to human suffering is that he comes in. He clothes himself in the skin and the sweat and the dirt and the mud and he clothes himself in it. And he doesn't just do that. He comes to his creation that's rebelled against him. He comes to the creation that has turned their back on him. And he says, I'll, I'll lay down my life for you. He lets the creation who he loves and has turned their back on him, he lets them rip out his beard and flog him and torture him and ultimately crucify him for them. So God's response to human suffering is that he enters into it. He feels it like he feels it. He's not just far off, but he feels it. And then he moves himself to the cross to deal with it. And so this is huge. This is huge in the way we deal with human tragedy. This is huge in the way we deal with the small things that you're facing like today and tomorrow and when school lets out and the tests you've got to do and getting into your master's program or going on from here and going on the mission field or whatever it is that y'all are thinking about doing. This is huge. In that God is not sitting up there and looking at you like you better make the right decision. Oh, you better make the right decision. Oh, you just be you better take the right step or he's so angry with you. But he's looking down and he's in it with us and he's not aloof and he's feeling what we feel and he understands what we're going through and he's with us in it. He's not just this I mean, we just looked at the good shepherd. We just looked at John 10. This is how he treats his sheep. How he protects them and he guides them. And so he's not this God who has removed himself from human suffering. He's this God that is so desiring humanity that he enters into it and he suffers with them. 
But that's, that's not the end of it, right? Lazarus is a great picture of this. It's not the end of it. So I want to look at the second response to human suffering. If you can put it plainly, the first response really just proves that he's good. The first response to human suffering that he enters into it and goes along with it, it just shows that he's good. But is he able to do anything about it? That's, a, that's the next huge question. So in verse 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. That's beautiful, yeah. See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So it's like, yeah, he loved him. He was good. But couldn't he have done something? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, look again, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may, what? Believe, right? They may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him, like, okay, hold on. Uh, okay. Uh, y'all are all Western rational people. Uh, what we just read is that Jesus made a dead man come alive. Is that something that you really believe? Like Jesus made a dead man, a guy who is stinking because his flesh is rotting. There's a a way where we can look at the Bible as really cool stories. You're like, man, Jesus was cool. He said some cool stuff to the Pharisees. He didn't like religious people. Yeah. But he just raised someone from the dead. So do we really believe that Jesus was saying all these things and doing all these things? And this is a real historical fact. That Jesus wasn't, this isn't just a story to show something else. This is a story to show that Jesus not only has compassion, but has authority over the grave. Like, if that's not something that we, when we get to it, and we're like, yes, okay, there's a, there's a bit of hope for the day. There's a bit of hope for how I'm going to move forward. That if I don't take the fact that Jesus has ability over the grave and apply this to human tragedy, or I apply this to me getting into school or me getting into my internship, if I don't, if I don't take that, then like look in internally. Is this, is this something I believe? Like I've, I've, I'm, I'm believing on this. I'm standing on the fact that Jesus has authority over the grave. Okay, so, okay, so first God's response is, I'm good, I'll come in it, I'll enter it with you. But if he can't do anything about it, who cares? A God that's good and not able... That's a nice story. 
so if Jesus had come to the tomb, if Jesus had come to the tomb and wept and rubbed Martha and Mary on the back and said, okay, this is rough. Or, and then prays with him and leaves. Or if Jesus goes to the cross and says, you know, I'm taking all your sin, I'm taking all your sin, and he doesn't rise from the dead, he's good, great, but he's not able. But that's not what happened. Neither of those is what happened. What happened is that he goes to the grave and he sees him weeping. He weeps with him and then he says, hey, Lazarus, come out. And he, he literally gives this man life. Okay, and then the story doesn't end there. He then moves to the cross where he shows the authority over his own life and raises him, or the father raises him from the dead. Okay, so we're seeing that our God is not just good. He doesn't just enter in. He's not just like, hey, I love you. But he literally is able and sovereign to do whatever it is that he wants to do. So the fact that they're both there should bring a degree of comfort to the way we face these tragedies and the way that we face moving forward, the way we face the past and the way we face the present. The fact that he's good means I can trust him with my future. The fact that he's able means I can trust him with my future. And it's only just this beautiful thing that he's showing. What is it? What is, uh, I, he tells us at the end of his gospel, believe. By believing, you have a life. He's showing he really can give life. That it's not just this talk, like it can motivate you to feel better. He has control over physical life. He has control over your emotional, spiritual life. Over the life of your mind. He's got control. He has authority. And so this affects the way we move forward and this affects the way we look back. That our Father is both good and able. He's good and He's able. So what, what tends to happen to us is we will let tragedies define God for us. We will let present circumstances where we don't understand what's going on define God for us. So you can look back at your past at a time where you just did something terrible happen and you just don't understand it. Like, why would you allow me to go through that? And we can say, that must mean that you're not good or that you can't do anything. So we can let the tragedy define it. We can let present circumstances like, God, I've been praying and you haven't showed me what to do, define God and say, okay, well, I'm just going to manipulate the circumstance. I'm going to do what I want with it. I'm going to carve my own path out. I'm going to make this happen. I'm, I'm going to push this door open. We can, we can do that. But what John is pushing you to do consistently is believe and trust and have faith in our Father. And He's highlighting these stories. He's good. He's able. You can put all of this in His hands, and He can deal with it. And you don't have to manipulate the circumstances. You don't have to explain everything so that you can get a hold of everything. 
but that you can move forward and let go of some of the stuff in the past. You can face some of the stuff now because you're resting in and sitting in and you're anchored in simple, simple facts that my Father is good and my Father is able and whatever He's going to do, I can trust Him in it. And it may feel crappy right now. It may feel hard. That I, I, I don't want to minimize that. That, that. It's true. It can feel difficult and hard. But that doesn't mean that's the way it is. And your feelings don't define this. And so allowing belief to override that and to move forward in the face of that is what he's calling us for, is what he's calling us to do. So uh, there's just a, a, I want to walk us through just a little exercise. Um, it's something that's been really helpful for me. I just want to walk us through a little exercise. Um, I'm going to, you guys close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to, because y'all know, I'm, every, I'm pushing you guys. You don't come here to, to spectate. This is real easy to do that in our culture. We can come here, you can watch people sing, you can watch people talk, and then you can go eat free food and you can go home, and that's, that's great. Uh, but this is never meant to be something you just come and watch. Uh, so I want to push you guys to interact with God, consistently push you to interact with God. Uh, so there's just an e- because, let me, this fight is not something you decide once. You don't decide tonight. Okay, God's good and able, good. This is a daily fight that we're in the middle of. And so this is, a, this is an exercise that sometimes daily, sometimes more than daily, that's easy to walk through, especially in times where you're, where you're worried about the future or you're really caught up in the past and some stuff that's happened. So uh, this is an exercise that you don't walk through once, but it's something you can walk through whenever you need to. Um, close your eyes. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would show if there's things in your past that you haven't really let go of, is, is that there? And I want, I want to walk through just a little exercise. If there's things right now um, that you're really just eating up over and eating up over how they're going to play out and how you're going to move forward and what you're going to do, it's just, it's just a good exercise to give those to God, to just verbally give them to God.